Wow, whenever we knew we were going to pass out some photos, I knew I was going to bring some of my grandchildren photos out. Uh, if Taylor can bring out his baby photos, I'm going to bring out my grandkiddo photos. And so here is Sayla, one of them, and next to Jordan, the mother. And I know you can't fully see it there, but there is a lot of similarities. Personality, even now, they're one month old. And just incredible uh, how to see how they're like each other. But And I asked Lori for a photo of her at this age, uh, if her mother had one or there was one in any attic somewhere out there, because if you saw Jordan, so you see Selah and how they look like Jordan, well, if you see Jordan and how she looks like Lori, you can clearly see that God is using the same mold in the mix of this, okay? So they are exactly a uh, spitting image. And so I got more photos. Don't hesitate. Stop by. Uh, any given time, I will fo- uh, give you a photo of my grandkid. Uh, uh, and uh, my kids too. They are, they're still important. Uh, but, uh, my grandkids especially. The, um, the reality is that this happens. At, Taylor doesn't know how this happens, by the way. Did you catch that part? I'll talk to him later on. It's called the birds and bees. We'll talk about that later on with him and get, get that all squared away. But when you think about the, uh, the, the DNA resemblance and how we look like them because we share the DNA, uh, there's also things, you know, we, we pass on. That may be nature. The others may maybe more nurture oriented, but we become like them because of maybe we, we, we pass on the way we handle anxiety. Uh, we know that Jordan was anxious in part, and if Jordan, you're watching this service right now, then please understand, We're uh, please forgive us. Our anxiety and the way we deal with anxiety, we pass that on to you. Uh, and so, you know, whether it's anxiety or maybe you're chill and they're not, chill, or they're chill, you know, whatever, we pass on, we nurture our kids along, and they become like us in so many ways emotionally. They may even take on some of the mannerisms that we have. Again, is that nature versus nurture? I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Spiritually, though, spiritually, our children take on part of us. Or they learn from us. And many times they emulate us. In fact, what we do in moderation, our kids will do in excess, it's been said. And I agree with that. I think if we, if we in moderation pray, our kids will in excess pray. If we in moderation don't pray, our kids in excess won't pray. If we show us a generous heart, then our kids will see the generosity. If your kids never walk in seeing you praying, reading your Bible, and seeing that God's a priority in your life, don't expect them to emulate that. We pass on so much, not just the DNA, not just genetics and things like that. Well, we're going to look at the family of Adam and Eve. We're going to look at the second generation. Just think about this. We've been in Genesis for two months, and we are just now past Adam and Eve. So that's, again, the the depth of content in these early chapters are incredible. And so we're spending a little extra time there. So go to chapter 4 of Genesis, and we'll be there in a moment. But we're going to enter into the the the, the, the midwife, because I'm sure they didn't have hospitals. We're going to enter into the, the home. We're going to enter the birth. Uh, we're going to enter the birthday of, of the first child born to Adam and Eve. And I want you to hear the heart 
in, uh, in Eve. You hear the excitement. You hear the anticipation. You hear the joy. In fact, if you read through chapter 4 in the beginning, in the middle, and in the end of chapter 4, you have births happening. So it's like the birth chapter of, of Genesis. And uh, in the beginning, we see Cain. We see Abel. So if you have chapter 4 open, uh, let's look at the very first verse there. And it says, And Adam knew Eve. Didn't mean that he knew her love language. He knew Eve, okay? This is actually a sexual intimacy, knew each other. He knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Now, notice, stop right there before we read the very words from the very journal of, of Eve. I want you to notice when she when she's going to refer back to not just the birth, she's going to point back to the conception. Not just the birth, the child was born, a son was born. She's going to point back to the conception and she's going to look at this and she says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. In this moment of her time, can you imagine she is literally feeling the image of God. She is an image bearer of God, just like God created she and her husband. Now God through her body is conceiving and giving birth to a child. It's a beautiful moment. But I also want you to notice this. And this is not what the message is about, but I can't pass it up. Just pointing this out is that the value of that person starts in the womb, not when they're born. And I just want to point that out because I am a, listen to this, pro-choice and a pro-life pastor. Think, Mike, you can't be that. It's saying your choice just happens in the bedroom, not in the doctor's office. And so it's a, it's pretty awesome whenever she looks at her conception, she says, God did this. She looks at the birth, God did this. And now I have Cain. It doesn't end there. She, she continues to have children. But what we're going to see in this story of Cain and Abel, the very first generation born to Adam and Eve. And then we're going to see Seth later on in the chapter born. But we won't deal with that one. But just realizing that we, as you see this, we're seeing God at work. We're seeing the second generation uh, come into reality. But we're also going to see an imperfect family. We're going to see an imperfect family. Now, some point, we don't know where it is in, in, in time, but we see this, that and again she bore his brother. Now Abel, the keeper of the sheep, and Cain, who worked with the ground. So we have one son who grows up and becomes a a, a, a herdsman, if you will. I have another son who grows up and is an agriculturalist. So you have two different professions, and they grow up, and that's their task, that's their job, that's, their, that's what they do, that's what they make their living doing. And you go on, and you see that the very first thing that they do, no, don't miss this, the very first thing that they do is they worship God. They pull aside and they worship God. In the very first chapters, let this be a record, let this be something that we wrestle with a little bit or that we lean in on more than anything or we embrace more fully is that when you go to Genesis chapter 4, you see the first worship service. When you go to Revelation chapter 21, you see the, the, the worship service that's going to go on for eternity. When you go to the beginning of Revelation, you find that all the nations are gathered around the throne. So what, what I want us to see here is that worship, the worship experience, the worship expression is an eternal thing that we're going to do now. And we get a little glimpse 
of the heavenlies now so that we can anticipate the heavenlies in the future. It will be an incredible worship expression and experience that's going to go on. And one thing I like about worship is not only what it does to me, it helps me level set my life. I'm not God, He is. I kind of get my life in line with Him. He's my shepherd, I'm not my own shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I kind of get my life in line, but also I enjoy worship of what I can give, what I can bring. In fact, when you look at the very first worship service, and we'll look at that here in just a second, you'll not see prayer. You'll not see reading the Bible. You'll not see grabbing coffee in the in the cafe. You'll not see dropping kids off at kids' church. You'll not see any of that, but what you will see is you will see an offering. You will see them giving to God because that's what worship is at its fullest. It's us giving ourselves to God. Fully and completely. So let's pick up the reading. And uh, and verse 3, let's go there. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Makes sense. He's a gardener. He brings his garden offerings to, 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 to the Lord. And Abel brought of the firstborn of the flock. Underscore the word firstborn. We'll mention that briefly in a moment. And of the fat Portions, okay? Underscore that. And the Lord regarded, now notice the two different responses of God. The Lord regarded Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering, he didn't regard. The word regard is a word there used to reflect seeing with deep appreciation. He looked at the offerings, he appreciated the offerings, he valued the offerings. You ought to immediately be asking the question. Cain brings one offering, not accepted, not regarded, not looked at, favorable. Abel brings an offering, so what's the difference? What's cooking? What's going on that God embraces one, regards one, but he doesn't regard the other? Hang out there in that tension for just a moment. So Cain was very angry. And his face fell. The Lord speaks to him. The first time the Lord speaks to Cain. Why are you angry? Why is your face falling? If you do well, if he gives him the path out. If you do well, will you not be accepted? He tells him exactly. If you do the right thing, will you not be accepted? If you will, uh, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. And it desires, its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. Probably the two most important verses I just read. Remember those. We'll come back to those. Now notice, that's God speaking to Cain. Now notice what Cain does. Cain doesn't speak back to God. Cain just starts talking to his Abel, to his brother. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. Man. It gets dark fast in Genesis, right? I mean, we went from just last couple of weeks, we've been dealing with chapter 3, and they're, they're eating fruit off a tree. Now they're cutting somebody's head off. Cain rose up against his brother. Abel killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? I love it. God just keeps asking questions. That's his modus operandum anyway. He likes us to self-discover. Ask good questions. Hopefully people will discover. He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Almost flips 
flippantly off to God, rebelliously off to God. And then the Lord said to him, ask him another question, what have you done? And then God says this, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Let that heaviness sink in. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Now God's holding him accountable. Truth and consequences. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Here's truth and consequences coming at him. He faced the truth. Now the consequences. When you work the ground and it shall no longer yield uh, to you its strength. Basically, you're not going to find farming easy any longer. Okay, if it was easy before, think about what it was in Adam and Eve in the garden. It's going to be incredibly hard now. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, now Cain's really going to talk to the Lord. Oh, my punishment is greater than I can, than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away. You have driven. Notice how we blame God for our sin consequences. You've driven me away today. From the ground, from the, your face, I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive. He says that twice. Fugitive is a wonder in the earth, and, and whoever finds me will kill me. And then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain. Now, did Cain have the right to be killed? Absolutely. He took his own brother's life. Notice the grace of God is still at work. God gives grace even when we don't deserve Because grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. We do not deserve it, okay? So he does it. He says, I'm going to mark you on Cain. I'm going to put a mark on Cain. Anyone who found you will attack you. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. There's a lot in that. And I want to look at this very quickly today as we understand the whole idea of God regarding an offering. Because if we're talking about worship, and the worship is the first thing we see outside of the Garden of Eden, really. And then we see it in the very last chapters of the Scripture. And then we see it at all points inside the Scriptures. Then we need to lean in and we need to ask, God, is my worship regarded? Is what I bring to you looked on favorably with delight? Are you pleased with what I bring, my singing, my prayers, my offerings, my generosity? Are you pleased with that? Because it's real important to God. In fact, this time he uses it, this word regard in the Hebrew language. He uses it here that God didn't regard Abel's, uh, Cain's offering, but he regarded uh, 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 Abel's offering. He's going to use it again in Isaiah chapter 17, the same phrase in a worship service. He's going to say, I'm not going to regard their offering. So it's literally plausible, uh, acceptable to realize that if he said it 4,000 years here, he said it 4,000 years later, and 2,000 years after that, our time, 3,000 years, uh, somewhere between two to 3,000 years, that is still to this, true to this day. That God, sometimes He regards our offerings and sometimes He doesn't. It's important for us to see that because for God, He looks at our worship as a total body experience. When we give our worship to God, 
He sees it, experiences it with all the senses that we know. All five senses. It tells, he smells our offerings. In Leviticus chapter 3 verse 16. And also in Philippians. He tastes our offerings. In uh, Proverbs chapter 4, uh, chapter 3 verse 9. He also, he touches our offerings through the, Le- the Levitical priest. In the book of Leviticus, the priest represented God's representation on the earth. They would touch the offerings as the offerings were given. He hears the offerings in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. He even sees our offerings as we give them. He is totally in our offerings. Jesus looked and he saw the rich putting their gifts in the offering box. Offerings to God are no small thing. It's not mediocre for a mediocre God. Let us understand, there are two mindsets that we see in Cain and Abel on what worship looks like and feels like and is. There's the first and best mindset. Let's talk about Abel's offering. Let's talk about Abel's worship. It's the first and the best mindset. That's a mindset that I'm going to give God the first and the best. And that's why I'm going to do this because I am worshiping him. The word worship is a 1300 uh, English or Anglo-Saxon word that dates way back to, to ascribe worth to something, okay? Doesn't take a rocket science to hear that. To worship something is to ascribe worth. If I was to take my phone out and lose my phone today, uh, it would take me another thousand dollars if I went and bought a new one uh, to replace this one. This phone has a level of value. It's got an whether it's worth that or not. uh, That's up for debate. But it's ascribed that value. What have you ascribed as a value marker on God? What's He worth to you? What's His value to you? Think about that. Because your generosity, here's a life principle for you, your generosity says more about your worship than your words say about your worship. You can look deep inside your wallets and your bank accounts and say, this is what I really ascribe worth and value to. What I really ascribe worth and value to is my home. What I really ascribe, my cars, my vacations, my things, my clothes, my, what, my, but what about God? If we looked at that, What would that say about your faith? Abel's on the scene for just a few moments. His name means vanity or breath. Literally, he's on the scene for one chapter of the Bible, period. He is born and he's murdered by his brother halfway through the chapter. Yet, he is the very first person in what the Bible, what many people call the hall of faith or the hall of fame of the Bible. He's the very first person in in Hebrews chapter 11 that is mentioned by name, and he's mentioned by name for what? His worship. For what what part of his worship? His generosity of his worship. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. Yes, what God was saying was, yes, Abel, good job. Right offering, high value. You put it in the right order, in the right place, in the grand scheme of things. God commending him by accepting his gifts through his faith. Through his faith. And through, though he died, he speaks. What real quickly can we learn about Abel's 
offering, about Abel's worship. One thing is, is it's a priority offering. God gets priority. First place in his offering. Notice this in Genesis 4, 4. He brought his firstborn. Not the lastborn, not the runt of the litter. Not after everybody went to market and picked out the cattle and the sheep and the herd that they wanted. That, that uh, whatever was left over, God, then I'm going to give you that part. Okay, God? No, no, no. He goes to the front of the line. He finds the best one in the line. He says, you're the youngest. Uh, you, you're, you're the healthiest. You're, 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 you're the best. I'm going to give you the firstborn to God. Now, Lori and I have been married for 30 years and... Um, I'm so glad that we both came into marriage on the same page in this area. She grew up in a home. I grew up in a home where you gave first offering, first fruits, first thing you make. You pull it out. You put it in an envelope. You take it to the church. You put it in the offering plate. That's old school, kind of how we do Now we're online. We do it online. We do it monthly. We have all that kind of stuff. So however you do it, Lori and I have made the commitment long before we were married that we're going to give God the first 10% of our gross income, period. If we're making this much, he gets the first 10%. If we're making this much, he gets the first 10%. Whatever we're making, he gets the first. He is our priority, and we want to give him the first and the best. That is the mindset that we want to have. The second part of this, if you look carefully at setting right our offering, our worship, is it was painfully... Joyful. Painfully joyful. Now when I say that, that seems like an oxymoron, that you can't embrace the pain unless you're a sadistic kind of person. But it's true. I mean, he gave a sacrifice. Hebrews 11.4, he said, a more acceptable sacrifice. It cut deep into the value. It cut deep into his 401k. It cut deep into his income. It cut deep. It went down because why, why, why would you do that? Why would you ever give in such a way that it would literally hurt your bottom line? Shouldn't you just give out of this little extra over here? And listen, if God is that awesome, then God deserves an awesome offering. And he gave a sacrifice. Sacrifice is a little bit different than an offering. Because a sacrifice, I've heard it said like this, it's whenever you give up something you love for someone you love even more. Whenever I look at all the things that money can buy, and then I look at God, I go, God, you're getting the first. And God, you're going to get the best. I was reading a book a number of years ago by David Platt called Radical. Maybe you've read it. I would recommend it. But get ready for your life to be changed when you do, or at least to be challenged. And when I was reading through that, one of the things that Lori and I made the commitment to do from that time of walking with God through that the study together is that the challenge came out in the book that make the largest check you write every month to your church. Make it to your church. Now listen, if you're new here today, I meet new people every week. Listen, understand me. If this is not your church home, do it to your church home. Okay? Wherever your church home is, that the largest check. So Lori and I made a commitment. We adjusted 
our living expenses. We adjusted how we bought cars. We adjusted how we lived in our home, how we financed our home, so that the largest check that we would write every single month would be to our church as an act of worship to say, God, you're not only going to get the first, but you're going to be the most important, the highest valued person in our line item. Notice that he gave the fat of the of the, of, of the animal. He gave the fat portion. Fat's where it's at, guys. That's where the flavor is. If you're a foodie, you know that. He gave the best and he gave the first to God. But also I want you to see the legacy of his offering. Notice the last part of verse uh, chapter 11, verse 4. He said this, through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Remember, Abel is in half of one chapter of the Bible. And they're still writing about him in the New Testament. He's the very first guy in the hall of faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews. It's Abel. He had a legacy. Even though he was dead, his life was still speaking. I love it that... When I, and I'm using a lot of personal examples because I'm, I'm telling you this, is because I can't ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do. So I'm willing to give God the first and the best. Are you willing to give God the first and the best? I, I hope that our kids, and I hope James and Selah, our grandkids, I hope that they grow up in a legacy and they see their mom, their dad, their their aunt and their uncles and, and, and their grandma and their granddads and their grandma and great granddads. I hope that they see a line of legacy of generosity to God. Number two, there's the mindset, first of all, that God gets the first and the best. Then there's a second mindset. It's Cain's mindset. It's me first. Just me first. I'm going to live me first. And as long as it lines up with me. So he brought an offering. Now some people have said, oh, okay, God didn't like his offering because his offering was from the garden and, uh, Abel's offering was, 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 was a, a sacrifice, was a, was a, was a, was a blood sacrifice. Nah, that's just not true. There's nobody. One, I didn't read one scholar this week that would even align with that. Okay? Because he was a gardener. All he had was fruits and veggies. That's all he had. He brings his fruits and his veggies and he brings a portion of them. The problem is, is that he didn't reach into the bag and get the best. He probably went to the back and got the overripe. And he brought what was left over to a holy, righteous God that deserves our first and our best. And he brings that to him because God accepts grain offerings in Leviticus chapter 2 verse 14. There was a, there's a spirit of entitlement in Cain. You'll see that. It's a spirit of entitlement that, hey, you owe me, I don't owe you. And listen, that's a spirit of pride. And here's the thing about pride. It's probably one of the most accepted sins of our culture. It's one of the only sins that we have the hardest time self-identifying and self-correcting. That we literally have a hard time seeing our own pride and identifying it. Cain has a hard time with it. If you look at the storyline, again, I I won't read it all, but if you look at verse 5, he's upset. God didn't accept his offering. His face is down. And then God 
begins to correct him. God begins to move him in a path towards redemption and correction. And I want us to see here the cascading effect of sin. And the sooner I can stop it and get back on the right track, the sooner I can be in a right relationship with God. But when you see, first of all, the first thing that happens is sin starts at the first, at me first worship style. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give what little I wanna give. I'm gonna give what, what I'm comfortable giving. Listen, I, again, this is not an effort for you to give money to Grace Point Church. If this is not your church, don't give money here. You give your offerings to your church, but if this is your church, your offerings belong here. Because we're your church. Okay? I'll, I'll just leave it at that. And I'll say this. If you have never been a part of a church and you want to say, I want to be a part of a church that's not going to only give me, but ask of me, challenge me, welcome to Grace Point. Next week, we're kicking off a new round of first, uh, uh, first step. For those who are interested, then please be a part of what it means to know God, love people, and live sin. If that even appeals to you, you think, okay, I want to be a part of a church that's going to not ask of me, but challenge me, then, then sign up today. Be a part of that next week. Number two, the cascading effect. What happens next is sin cuts into the emotions. What did, what did Cain do? His face fell. It says he got angry. Very angry. He was hot. God, you took my brother's offering, but you didn't take my offering? No, he's hot. He is not accepting this. He is not embracing this. Listen, pride will keep you from repentance. Pride will stoke your anger so that you can't repent. Where you see the problems over there and not the problems right here. He saw his brother and becomes jealous and envious of his brother. So it just kind of keeps going. Sin comes to a crossroads. Most important verses in in this passage is verse 6 and 7. I said that already. So look here. Verse 6. This is the Lord said to Cain. Lord starts speaking to Cain. Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? And then he gives him a path out. God gives us a path out. Notice the pursuer is God. God is pursuing Cain. So don't say God's some mean God. He's pursuing Cain. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. And it desire, its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. Just leave that verse up there, guys. I want you to see that. Break it down. Verse 7. If you do well, if you repent now, get on the right track now, get do the right thing now, what will happen? Will you be accepted? Yes, it's implied in there. Yes, you will be accepted. It will be accepted. You will be on the right track. If you don't, just outside the door of your life is sin. And this is the only time in Scripture that I know that sin is personified. Sin is a person. Sin is on the outside. And what is that sin doing? It is crouched down and it is waiting to pounce. It is, and this is a warning from God to Cain. Cain, get it straight now before you go deeper down, before you spiral deeper down. Uh, I I love it in the Alcoholics Anonymous called the big book. It talks about addiction. It's cunning, baffling, powerful, and patient. Addictions are patient. 
It's crouching at the door. It'll wait all day. It'll wait all night. It'll wait till next month. It will wait. What you're going to have to do is you're going to have to identify it and deal with it. This is what God's saying to Cain. And he says, you're going to have to rule over it. You're going to have to master it or it will master you. Say, man, I can't, I can't, I got the addictions, I got the, the draws and the enticements, I, I can't. Listen, God is going to give you a way out every single time. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. Read this together out loud with me. Okay, read it together. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear. Literally, Cain sins by giving God a subpar offering. He has the opportunity to repent. But notice, God speaks to him. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. God speaks to him. But Cain doesn't even acknowledge God. He goes deeper. Verse 8. He doesn't reply to God. He starts speaking to his brother. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and Abel, uh, Abel, and he killed him. Notice the digression. Notice the spiral. It went from simply a bad offering, an unacceptable offering, to unrepentance, from unrepentance to, to envy, to envy, to murder. He just kept going down. The thing is about sin, sin is crouching at all of our doors. It's very patient, it's very cunning, it's very deceptive. It will pounce on us whenever we, if we're not careful. And it will begin, what will we do? It will start compounding in our lives. You'll have to sin again to cover up for the sin that you committed over here, which will have to cause you to sin again to cover up for the sin over here. It gets you angry. You got angry the other day and you just lost your temper. This time you're going to use your words. This next time you're going to throw something. You, you see how it progresses downward until you get in front of that crazy train and say no more. Cain did not get in front of it and it sin compounded in his life. God talks to Cain three times. Count them. Three times. Verse 6, verse 9, and verse 10. And it wasn't until after verse 10 that you see any sense of remorse in him talking back to God. Any sense of brokenness. God, what I did was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. Three different times. God's pursuing him. See that God pursues us. In fact, the only time he did speak to God is when God said, where's your brother? He said, am I my brother's keeper? It's like telling your kids to clean the room. I didn't make the mess. You ever heard that? It's like shifting the blame, getting out from underneath the, the conviction of it. Do what you can to put it off onto someone else. He doesn't even show remorse there. Sin compounds and compounds. Verse 8 to 10, we see that. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I don't know, I'm my brother's keeper. And then the Lord said, and this is what got him. Third time he speaks to him. What have you done? What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood. Is crying out from the ground. That is a haunting reality. And all of a sudden, the full weight of everything that Cain had done broke him. 
And I wish I had time to develop the rest of the response and the conversation between he and God. But the rest of that, I'll let you read for yourself and just realize that right now you're dealing with a broken cane from this point forward. But now he's having to live with the truth and the consequences. When all along God said, if you'll just do what's right, if you'll just do what's right, won't you be accepted? I said this a few weeks ago. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, cost you more than you want to pay, especially whenever we don't repent when God calls us to repentance. When you think about Judas and you think about his story and and how he did what he did, betraying his father, you know, think about that. Man, how bad that is. And what does he do? He goes out and buys a field and he hangs himself. He tried to fix the problem himself. And what he does, and every time somebody commits suicide, you know what they do is they just take this pain and they take their pain and they put it onto their family member's pain. It doesn't fix the pain, it just transfers the pain. Judas hangs himself, tries to fix the problem himself. What does David do? You know David's story. Man after God's own heart. Good man, right? He's in a weak moment. Sin was crouching at his door. In fact, it was crouching at the house on the next over. And he's looking down on this beautiful babe out there bathing. And he calls her to himself. He forces himself upon her. Yes, it would be a constitute rape in our, in our culture today. Forces himself upon her. And she gets pregnant. What does he do? Perfect time to repent and get right with God. But no, he's going to go a step further. He's going to spiral deeper. He's going to have Uriah killed. He's going to call Uriah back from the front lines. He's going to make sure that Uriah is killed. So what's he trying to do? He's trying to fix his own problem. So what does he do? He marries his he marries Bathsheba to make him his wife, to make it a legitimate kid. All along, trying to cover it up himself. Cain's trying to fix his own problems, and he just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Try to fix your own problems versus going to God and let Him fix it. It's a, you're going to end up in a hot mess. So for one year, scholars estimate, David ran from God for one year. Until Nathan came knocking on his door, a prophet of one another brother, held him accountable. And then you can go to Psalm 32 and you can read the journal of David. When he confesses and what happens and how it goes on inside of him. Let me read just a short section of it. And then I, when I kept silent, when I hid my sin, when I didn't deal with my sin, but I buried it and took care of it myself, kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day, he wasn't any happier. It was eating him alive. For day and night, he couldn't sleep at night. Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up like the, like the heat of summer. You, you, you're just like going to go out in the summer and it's humidity through the roof. You can't even move. You just want to go sit under a tree. He, he couldn't even function. Selah. Good name. I acknowledged my sin. I brought my sin out. I was hiding it. Brought it out. I acknowledged my sin. Did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. His bones stopped aching. His life was free again. See, when we come to this dark, somebody that left out of the last service and said something to me, and they said, Man, that was a heavy message. I said, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When you read Genesis, this, this section here is tough. But it's so right for where we are. If we just live the me-centered life, we will, we will find ourselves in this hot kind of mess. There's three basic responses that you can do to God's voice when he starts tapping on your soul. You can, you can fight it. It's exactly what Cain did. And every time he took a punch at God and ignored God, he just, just spun deeper and deeper and deeper. Every time David, he just went deeper and deeper. He just fought. Fought the conviction. Fought the still small voice of God. Listen, surrender. Because the, the next one is flight. That's what, that's what Jonah did. Jonah ran away. He ran to, he ran in the other direction when God was calling him to go in this direction. You can fight, you can fight, you can surrender. The sooner you surrender and you say, God, I'm not going to cover up my sin any longer. Here it is. Forgive me. Give me hope again. Give me life again. Then, then my bones will not ache. Then I can breathe again. And the weight of that sin is forgiven. For 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says that if I confess my sins, He's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Would you bow your heads with me? If this message is heavy, I'm sorry. It may be exactly what you needed to hear. If it, you needed to hear it to get out of the darkness and the spiral downward of sin, or if you needed to just hear this to know that Satan is crouching at your door, he's ready to pounce, and you got to master it. Waking up to the reality that we can live in chains, we can live shackled, we can live in deception and darkness, we can hide and cover up and try to fix our brokenness, ourself, or we can say, oh my God, I cannot. How I need you. Father God, in this space and time, speak. May we not be like Cain and ignore your voice. May we not be like Cain and rebel against your voice. We'd be like Cain the third time and realize we're broken. But your grace is sufficient. You will set us free. We don't have to be a slave to sin. We can walk in freedom. You, Jesus, give us life again. Your grace continued to pursue Cain. May it pursue us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Just stand and worship with us.